2: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to episode number 356 of the Parastyle Podcast. Today is February 2nd, 2015. Happy Groundhog's Day, everyone. And we're going to talk about lots of different topics today on the podcast. Signing days coming up in a couple of days. Uh, the USC basketball team. we got all kinds of stuff with the Super Bowl and Pete Carroll. Uh, this team's off-season workouts. So a lot of stuff to get to on the podcast this week. We want to hear from you. Questions you can send to com or you can call us at 206-888-6755 or leave a voicemail right on our podcast page, com. That's com. We have Dan Weber coming up later on the show. we got Coach Harvey Hyde right now. You can follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. That's at Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How you doing?
1: Ryan, I am doing absolutely fantastic. I'm a little uh. Bit... Oh, I don't know want to say depressed, but I'm a little bit ready to say, what am I going to do without football? But, of course, Wednesday is another exciting day, so we really don't forget football because it's national letter of intent, and everybody's gearing up for that. I know I am. I hope everybody else is, because this is the future of all college football programs as far as uh, great players make great coaches. So I know that everybody... uh, Bobby wants us to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, which we'll do. And if we have questions, we'll answer them. And, Ryan, if you have any questions for me, I'll answer yours. And if I have any for you, I'll ask
2: you. Sounds good, Coach. I wanted to thank our sponsor before we jump into things. Southern California Tickets, -tickets sctickets.com is the website. Or call them at 1-800-888-7287. I know football is over now. You don't need Super Bowl tickets anymore. You don't need tickets for National Signing Day. You can get all that on USCfootball.com, but you want tickets to hockey or baseball is going to be coming up. Any kind of sporting event across the country, if you want your tickets in advance seven months for USC football, you can do that too. Just go to sctickets.com and they will uh, hook you up. And it's going to be signing day on Wednesday, Coach. And I just wanted to kind of get a quick thought or two from you on, you know, maybe some. Uh, funny stories or something you had on signing day. I know uh, it's, it, it's cool to see. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl because we have uh, a question for you on that a little bit later on. But um, seeing your former player, Icky Woods, get some renewed stardom on uh, on television with his uh, cold cuts commercials and stuff. I mean, was he a big coup for you on signing day or, or one of the big signing days maybe you had ever had?
1: You know, signing day is always an exciting uh, day, uh, Ryan, because you really determine how your program is going to be. For the next couple of years, if you have two or three great recruiting years back to back, you got a chance if you don't screw them up and you recruit uh, correctly and you forecast the players and the players stay eligible and they get uh, to a, a point of believing in what you're doing, you got a chance. Always love college football because you had 21 first round, 25 first round draft choices every year while coaching in the NFL, you only got one. But, uh, yeah, you were mentioning Nicky Woods getting a lot of fame here recently, and I'm so happy for him. He's such a great kid. Uh, I I text him as soon as I saw the first one, and he texted me back, Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it very much. And I saw his second one. I don't know if you've seen his second one. Yeah. And uh, I I texted him back, and I said, Put the money in the bank. <laughs> and he texted me back, and he said, I'm going to, Coach. I'm going to. Thank you very much. So. I'm happy for him. He's a kid that uh, came out of Fresno, California, on one of our national signing dates. He played for me as a freshman in 1984 season. Uh, Out of Edison High School, uh, he didn't have any scholarships whatsoever, didn't play his senior year. Uh, Fresno State was trying to get him to walk on, and I told him uh, I met with him. I saw him on a film. I was watching another player. I saw him on a film when he was playing as a as a junior. And I said, who is that guy? And they said, oh, that's uh, Icky Woods. And uh, Albert is his first name. Albert Icky Woods. And I said, oh, I'd like to talk to that kid because he ran track. He hurt his knee as a junior, so he really didn't do anything as a senior. So the kid came in. I met him. He was a good-looking kid. And I sat down and I talked to him. I said, you get your grades straightened away. And I'll tell you what, I'm willing to take a chance on you if you take a chance on me and we'll sort of get married right now and if you tell me you're going to come to UNLV if your grades are what they should be I'm off your scholarship right now and he hadn't heard of that before I mean no one offered him a scholarship and he says we shook hands and uh, he got his grades he came to UNLV and what was a great thing about that as a freshman he played uh, sparingly Uh, but in the California Bowl which we played in that year was in Fresno And our starting uh, fullback, we ran both of our backs. We had a two-back set. We ran a fullback and tailback. Got hurt. So Icky came in the game, and I remember we ran belly sweep. And as a freshman, he went right up the middle of the field, full speed for about 30 yards and went into the end zone. Didn't dance. Couldn't dance then. Went into the end zone in front of his home crowd his city in Fresno, and I tell you, he came off the field, he said, Coach, thank you. I said, No, let me thank you. And uh, it was just a great start of a beginning. His senior year, he led the nation in rushing. Unfortunately, he got hurt, as everyone knows, playing for the Bengals in the Super Bowl and uh, hadn't played since. But he struggled, but yet he's been a good kid. He lost his son, as most people know, last year, two years ago, excuse me, on the practice field. With asthma, and he's in charge. He's in uh, executive director of an asthma foundation, which uh, a lot of us who know him have uh, contributed to, and uh, he's just a good guy. And I'm ha- so happy for him. That's just one recruiting story, though, Ryan.
2: Yeah, no, that's a that's a good one. It's because it's relevant right now too. People are seeing him on on TV and stuff. So thanks for sharing that one, Coach. And uh, speaking of the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl ads and all that kind of stuff, we have a question for you, a voicemail question. So let me let me play this one for you. Here you go
1: what's good Ryan and Coach this is Brian from Birmingham checking in again SC fan in SEC country just finished watching the Super Bowl what was Pete thinking you got the best back in the league why not give it to him on the goal line that kind of baffled me reminded me of that 2006 Rose Bowl where they had Reggie Bush sitting on the bench and allowed Texas to stack the box and ran Lindell and he got stopped a yard short I don't get it Maybe Pete was trying to outsmart himself while he did it. Anyway, looking forward to National Signing Day. As always, go Trojans. Well, thank you very much for checking in with us this week again. Uh, I think everybody in the nation said that. Uh, I think Michael Irving made the comment after the game on the postgame show. He said that's the worst play ever called in the history of the Super Bowl. And I think that most people felt that way. And, uh, you know, it was sort of surprised to me how Coach Carroll was trying to explain why and what and how that came about. Uh, you, you know, uh, you know, he says it's on me, which it is on him. I mean, at least he said that because every single play goes through the head coach. I think if Russell Wilson would have been uh, Tom Brady, he'd have checked out of that call. He'd have checked out of it and run something else. To say that uh, they were in their game goal line defense, uh, and uh, we didn't want to test it. Well, what did you expect them to be in down there? Prevent? <laughs> uh, and and let me say this, Ryan. Before, earlier in the game, when the first time when they bobbled, caught that bobble pass and they lined up for the first play, uh, I was saying New England should consider allowing Lynch to score. Score so they'd have more time on the clock to be able to drive down and try to beat them. I actually was saying that because it was almost impossible at that time, before he made four yards, that he almost got in the end zone then, that they were going to be able to stop him four straight plays. I think he averaged 5.6 yards a carry in the game. Uh, to get away from what got you to the Super Bowl, is what are you trying to do? Outsmart yourself and throw the ball into the middle of the field? maybe a fade if you want to waste the play but why waste the play when you really don't want the clock to stop and if the pass is incomplete the the clock stops so it to me I just can't figure it out why you don't go with the guy so that if it's all over with you can justify to yourself and your team hey we went with our best we went with our best four straight downs and we didn't make it well just say, hey, we want what our best, what," and and it didn't work, and we run a play action or a keep out of what he is doing running, and they let Wilson run it in if you can. But to throw the ball to the middle of the field, into all where everybody's bunched up on the goal line, you know everybody's within the yard of the line of scrimmage because you can't give up any yards. And to throw it in there, wow. For me, it's as bad or worse Probably worst, I don't know if you can determine which one's worse than the other, in the Rose Bowl game against Texas for the national championship, and I know I was corrected on this once before it was a third down or a second down, when they threw the ball in the flat to Brandon Hancock, and the ball was, uh, it was an incomplete pass. Then they came back and ran Lindell White, and that's the famous play where Reggie was on the sideline and Lindell was denied the first down rather than having both in the game as everyone knows, so that Thomas or old Thomas couldn't jump up there and stop or jam the where Lindell ran. And, you know, it was just a couple inches short. But this was a whole different thing. This is passing the ball when you have the number one rusher in the country in the NFL. I mean, I, you really consider now this, and, I, and I, I do as a coach. What do you tell your team? We played our ass off coaches. We did. And we lost it because of this. What are you telling us? What is Lynch saying to him? You mean, Coach, you didn't have faith I could get it in there? Is there going to be some type of doubt? And here's a guy, too, earlier in the year that had to sit out to get his contract. There are going to be a lot of questions flying around up there. There, There's going to be because that was not a smart call, and you're going to try to get this team together. You don't get that opportunity very often. And they had it. They had a way to come back. They found a way to win the game. And it just didn't happen. Now, I'm not going to take anything away from New England. I thought that they really played well. They utilized their personnel so well that they have as far as their offensive ball control, as far as with the short passing game, not allowing the, the rush to get to uh, Brady. All of that. It, it, genius at work. It's a genius at work. It really is. And uh, But to get in that position, to be up... 24 to 14 in the second half and lose too with a great defense and that too uh I somewhat question too
2: so let's move on all right well the, <laughs> we'll move on from the Super Bowl um had a Ben had a question and and for those of you who know the USC's kind of starting these informal throwing sessions uh getting ready for spring football and we we put some video up uh, of the the guys throwing the football around and uh, Coach, here's a question from Ben. He said, some fans who watched those informal throwing sessions throughout, uh, or thought that the quarterback ball placement was often short and the targets didn't pay attention and slow down early enough to attack and high point, uh, high point those underthrown passes. Instead, wide receivers are making these lazy body catches, quote-unquote, uh, at the chest or waist level. If passing and catching are sloppy in formal throwing sessions, in informal throwing sessions, Do the sessions really help a player development and serve any useful purpose? If they they do, informal reps with dubious technique can actually uh, impair their development. That's from Ben.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think that's part of the leadership on the football team. I think that you have to practice every technique and do it the correct way as far as catching the football, holding the football, running with the football, running the exact routes. Otherwise, you form bad habits. You really do, and that's part of the leadership of a football team and saying, if we're going to be out here, let's do it right or let's spend our time somewhere else trying to get better, like maybe in the weight room. And That's all part of leadership, and uh, sometimes a quarterback or somebody has to call a group together and say, hey, you know, it's nice to be out here. It's nice to have fun, but, you know, if we're going to be out here, let's try to accomplish what we're out here for. And that has to do with the receivers, with the new receivers that are, that are in there, the new personnel that's on the field out there, whether it's offensively or defensively or whatever you, technique you're working with. Otherwise, there's no reason to be out there because all you can do is get hurt. And if you get hurt out there, then you might miss the whole spring practice and fall camp. So if you're going to be out there, you better try to get something out of it. or don't get out there. Go do something else. Go do something else. I agree 100%. Make the session shorter, but make them brisk. Make them right. Practice the correct techniques on what you're supposed to do, and get off the field. But to just go out there to say we worked out today doesn't work.
2: Ah, uh, very interesting, coach. And there, the 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 players have kind of gone on their own. Uh, not usually the the quarterbacks will start to uh, organize these things. The defensive players will come out. And so far, though, they've only had a few, and it's mostly been kind of like Juju Smith kind of getting some quarterbacks together and, and throwing the football around. It is very informal, and I think some of it's just kind of having some fun with the football out there. But, no, I see your point that you want to make sure you're practicing perfectly. Now, coaches can't be there. Um, they're not allowed to be out there. So, you you know, there's, there's got to be some talk, you know, behind the scenes of, hey, this is the kind of stuff we're working on. It was. It has been very, very informal, coach. So I don't know if that changes your thoughts on things. It's not like they're out trying to run plays or run seven on seven or things like that. It's really just kind of throwing lines and uh, and not even to the point where they're doing one on ones yet.
1: No, I, I understand what they're doing out there, but the point of it is, you know, there's always a chance of an injury. There's always a chance of something happening, and uh, I didn't. I didn't allow my kids to play basketball. Okay. I just felt there was uh, there wasn't anything to gain from basketball. I'd rather have them in a ballet class, which I did. Really. I put a lot of my skill, yes, I put a lot of my uh, skilled players in ballet classes as far as a unit class and so on to learn how to control and balance their body and became become limber and stretch and all of that rather than just fool around. When you fool around you get hurt. And I know you want to go out and throw the ball around and all this and that, but if if you don't have a purpose to be out there to get better, it's better to be doing something else. Get into the weight room. Pound some iron. Get stronger. But just to go out there and fool around, I, I don't like that. I never have liked that. And yes, coaches know what's going on out there because people tell them what's going on out there. And and someone should be on top of that. Someone should be on top of exactly knowing what's going on in the field and And who's out there? And if everybody's not out there, then how are you going to get better? I mean, it can't just be one or two guys out there. It's got to be either we all do it or we don't do it. Because the resentments start to have, well, he's not paying a price. So-and-so's not out there. I'm the only receiver out there. There's no backs out there. Where's the rest of the quarterbacks? We need a center out there. it gets to be a playground, intramurals. This is not intramurals. This is big-time football. This is a real deal, okay? So until they're ready to do it like the real deal, then let's don't do it.
2: All right. Uh, Thanks for that one, Coach. Let's see. Um, Lamar from Lancaster said he wanted to discuss the 2015 football season. I recently read articles on predicted outcomes for SC's 2015 stiffest competition in the conference and would like to give my opinions for the upcoming season. Uh, Looking at the recent past and moving forward, USC will be its own toughest opponent. USC has not been able to come close in games under Jim Moore for UCLA, and I think that has to be the team's toughest matchup. After UCLA, i pick Stanford over Oregon due to the fact that Stanford has almost all of its offense coming back, and the Cardinal will have the best coach in the Pac-12. In the past, USC's been able to score on Oregon, and Oregon is losing three key offensive linemen, Mariota, and they'll lose six players on defense. Lastly... SC's going to get uh, the big four defensive recruits left on the board for this year's 2015 recruiting class, and this class will shore up uh, the defense for the 2016 season. See you at the spring game. That's Lamar from Lancaster. Get your thoughts on that, Coach.
1: Lamar, Lamar, you must know something for sure. They're coming. Those <laughs> four guys. Lamar, you ought to send an application in to Ryan because Ryan would love to know that.
2: But, yeah, if he knows. But I hope sure. that. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> If he knows, great stuff.
1: <laughs> great stuff. But thank you very much uh, for uh, for uh, checking in with us. Uh, 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 let, let me tell you, it's very difficult to say in a tough conference, you know who had more players in the Super Bowl than any other conference? Ryan, you know the answer, right? Pac-12. Yeah, Pac-12. Okay. So in the Pac-12, there's so many good teams that at any given day, anybody can beat anybody. Just because you lose six starters here or five starters there that doesn't make any difference uh, Oregon just got a great transfer quarterback in from eastern Washington who's very athletic can control the ball around in fact they won the, I think it was division 2 or division 1 AA national championship guy threw for 1,500,000 yards and I don't know what else so you know he will fit right into their program and who knows uh, they've got great skilled players up there and they've learned how to win Stanford knows how to win. UCLA knows how to win. Arizona is winning. Arizona State is winning. Washington is starting to make a great uh, move now for the top of the Pac-12 and are going to have a great recruiting year. They're getting this quarterback out of Folson High School in Northern California. And I'm telling you, he's the real deal. Now He's the real deal. Now, Washington won a lot of games last year, but maybe if you look at all the quarterbacks in the Pac-12, maybe they had the least most productive quarterback. Now they get the real deal, they're going to be really tough too. So you look around the conference, and I miss a school here and there. I know that, uh, but Cal is much better, but you can't you've got to worry about yourself. When I used to recruit, I used to say, when I went in into a home, they would say, "Well, Stanford told me this." I'd say, "Did they really? They told you that about us? Did you tell them, "Talk about your program?" I want to hear about your program. I don't want to hear about SC's program. I used to tell them if they start talking about my program, they don't have anything to talk about in their program. (laughs) I'll tell you. I'll tell you about our program, okay? You ask me about our program. When when I have to go into a home and someone's already negatively recruited me and tell me why they should go to that other school rather than my school, uh, you know, you've got to be able to be prepared to do that. So... I think I've got to worry about, if I'm USC, what we're doing. I've got to worry about how we're preparing. We, i got to worry about what my players are doing and how's recruiting going and rehab and all of that above. I can't worry about what everybody else is doing. They'll, that'll come soon enough. we got to find a way to get better every day in every way because everybody else is too. It's not any secrets anymore. Everybody's got all the facilities, all the money, all everything, great coaches, whatever it is, I got to worry about what I got to do. So, uh, I, my best answer to that is: Yes, Oregon's going to be good. Yes, a lot of these other teams are going to be good, but I got to worry about how good we're going to be and what I can do to get ourselves better.
2: Uh, makes sense, Coach. Um, all right, we got one last one for you from uh, Res. Two. Uh, let's see. I've Coach Hyde. I've heard your explanation on why the one-year rules okay for basketball but not for football uh for not for football players protecting the players first uh pro football is a business uh business of assessment so if the nflers don't feel a player's ready they won't draft them my argument is who are we to say all players aren't ready until three years out of high school and how can we tell an adult when he can pursue his chosen profession imagine uh most careers with the same rule. Baseball, hockey, and basketball, after one year, pretty much take kids right out of high school. So why are we, uh, what are we protecting them from making money? Uh, my, difference, uh, my belief is that D1 football is free minor leagues for the NFL. The NFL can assess the talent with no investment at all. The NCAA profits by showcasing the best non-NFL football available, making them, the NCAA members, billions at a comparatively small scholarship investment. Love the show. Please comment and fight on.
1: Well, thank you very much. I think you're right on everything you said. Who are we to disallow someone to make a, a living? I agree with that 100%. Uh, I agree uh, uh, with that. Uh, I've always said if, if, we, if, if players go to school, to just go to the NFL, which most of them do, I would like to see, as you've heard me say a lot of times, uh, adjust that. A lot of kids say, and I'm not going to say who they are or what they say, they say, Coach, I'm not going to college to major in anything. I'm going to college to major in the NFL. And that happens. Be realistic. You're going to have that portion of your team that's majoring in the NFL. And basically their classes they take, they know they have to take to remain eligible. It's just part of it. Now, society and universities and NCAAs, they're trying to change that. So it's different. People understand that you've got to have that education. And they try to get a kid closer to a degree rather than let him come and maybe never go to school. Just come his first year saying, so... A, a kid comes and gets 11 units, or maybe I should say 16 units. You put him in a, free load, a, free, uh, a full load in case some professor drops him because he's not going to class at all. And, and he leaves, and he goes to the NFL after one year. He goes there with the idea of, I'm going here one year, and I'm gone in February because I can go there. Okay, now, what have we done? Well, first of all, there's a good chance he's not going to make it in the NFL. There isn't a league in in Europe for him to go play in, to mature. If he comes back to college, he can't get admitted, but he's got all Fs. So he's got to go to the community college uh, and get his grades back up so maybe he can transfer. Now, if he tried out for an NFL team or got an a- agent, he can never play again. So I'm saying that, yes, we should never deprive an individual for making a living. Singers start singing when they're 15, 12, 10 years old and become stars. Uh, Movie stars, writers, all of it. They all have talent. But in some individual occupations, it's a little bit different. Uh, Baseball has minor leagues. Uh, NFL, the NFL doesn't have minor leagues. Uh, NBA has summer leagues and leagues in Europe and everywhere else where kids can go play. In football, it's a little bit more difficult. Now, uh, I I remember when I think it was Jerome Bettis was the first player that fought that as far as saying, I'm coming out early, and it was against the NCAA, and it went to court and they proved that uh, they beat that. You can't deprive a person of making a living and that's when it came out now that as a junior you can come out or Richard Southmore. So that's my thoughts. I mean, I don't know all the answers, but I think that's what the purpose of this all is about. That's all I'm saying.
2: All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. We appreciate you uh, coming on the show and hope you enjoy signing day. I don't you get your juices flowing a little bit and think about coaching all over again. But thanks again. and it's been great stuff.
1: Now, Ryan, before we go, I want to say one thing. I understand you're having a signing party. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, At, uh, at uh, it's called the Standing Room in Hermosa Beach on signing day. So if you guys are interested in coming down, uh, there will be drink specials starting at 9 a.m. Uh, we'll have all the stuff going on all day. So it should be fun. I'm going to be bopping around, going to high schools and stuff, but we'll have a lot of uscfootball.com people there. Uh, so hopefully you can come down, Coach.
1: Good. I just wanted to bring that up because if people don't know about it, I certainly want them not to be cheated, Ryan. Yeah, no.
2: Thanks. I you forgot know? I forgot to mention it, too, so I appreciate that.
1: The stand- Don't worry about it. Well, buddy, again, thank you very much for all of you out there. Thank you very much, and uh, let's enjoy uh, signing date, okay? And uh, take care of everybody. Drive carefully.
2: All right. Thanks, Coach. And uh, the standing room in Hermosa Beach, uh, Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Come one, come all. Just come down and hang out talk some USC football and watch dying day. So thanks to that coach. And we'll be back in a minute with Dan Weber.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the pair podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC tickets is your concert sports and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com, SC Tickets, concert, Sports, and Theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with them, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
2: We are back on the Peristyle Podcast talking signing day, talking USC football, offseason workouts, and of course, talking the Super Bowl. We have USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. And uh, Dan, we'll jump right in with a question from Paul and and kind of get your thoughts on it. We all watched the Super Bowl, I think half the country did. Paul wrote in and said, really, not trying to psychoanalyze Pete Carroll, but does the the failed Lendale-White run versus Texas play any role in Pete's decision to change strategy? Still, that was a one-shot play. Pete had three goes at it from the one-yard line with Marshawn. That's from Paul.
0: Interesting thought. Pete did talk about the difficulty of running against their uh, goal line defense. And, you know, you're thinking – wait a minute, you've got Marshawn, you know, I don't know. That's an interesting point. That, uh, you know, that still thinking about Lendale and uh, the Texas game. I mean, I think the Texas game plays into it, no question about it. I think you see, you know, the Pete's psychology there. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's more a case of the positive Pete looking at we're going to have a guy make a play. And that's how... He gets there. That's how he gets his team to two straight Super Bowls or on the verge of three straight national championships in college football because he thinks positive about the way his players are going to make plays. And normally and usually they do. That time they didn't. And I don't think what factors in quite so much is what if it doesn't work? Again, should he have punted the ball You know, against Texas, probably. I know he can say, you know, the way Vince Young was going, maybe we couldn't have stopped them, you know, knowing that they were short of defensive personnel. I think in this game, you know, yesterday they were short because they had so many injuries on defense. I thought they did, you know, an unbelievable job to come back and and get to where they were. But I don't think it ever crossed Pete's mind that that Malcolm Butler kid – could step up and make that play and he made the kind of play that you know pete has lived on his whole whole life with guys who maybe you haven't heard of uh and when you go back and look at you know the stop action when the play starts there's no way butler can get there that there's a, it's a touchdown when the ball is thrown when it's released there's no way butler can get there it's a touchdown unless he drops it, and then they got two chances to run it in, the clock stop, and a timeout. And somehow Butler explodes through the ball, through Lockett, through everything, game's over. So Pete will probably, you know, had the, had the chance to be the only guy to, you know, win three straight national championships in college football in the modern era, had a chance to, you know, become the only guy to win multiple championships in both college and the NFL, and he'll have to live with that. And I thought, thought it was interesting. After the Texas game, I don't think Pete uh, agreed to those who were saying, you know, you're going to have to live with this the rest of your life. I think now if you talk to Pete, he has had to live with that call, that game, that ending the rest of his life. And right away after this game, even though he said he was numb and trying to put it all into focus, he did admit – this is something we're going to have to live with and explain forever. And, you know, I guess uh, when you think about Pete, he got there. You can't have those things, uh, you know, you have to live with and deal with the rest of your life unless you get there. So he gets there. But, uh, you know, I know if he looked at his, when he, it hit him, You you really think it didn't hit him at all, the downside and the consequences. And you think, how could he not? But that's Pete, I think, at this point. But now I think he has to face the team, you know, all these guys on that defense that played so hard, and now they don't have a Super Bowl. And uh, that's going to be tough. That's a very, very tough deal for Pete, I think, at this point. Very tough.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And you know, it's funny when you look at the game and you look at the the strategy-wise and and people kind of talk about Pete versus Bill Belichick and 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 Belichick I think proved to to a lot of people again just the small decisions that he can make that can make a big difference. And I think clock management's one of them. And one of the things he did, Dan, was he put pressure on Seattle by not calling a timeout and that way the clock ran down a little bit, so they had to make a decision. Do we want to throw the football once? And that's what Pete Carroll said. We wanted to get three plays, so if we throw the football once, it's incomplete. We can then run twice because we have one timeout left. A lot of coaches, I think, would have called a timeout, left Pete Carroll with a lot more time. Then he could run the ball three times if he wanted to. Well, he couldn't, and that ended up being the, the big play in the game. So just little things like that, Dan. I used kinda, I'm kind of, i not saying that Pete was out outcoached or anything like that. I mean, it was it a was crazy game. Both teams had chances to lock it up and didn't, um, but just those little things, I think, that, you know, sometimes can win it for you, and that's what it wanted for the Patriots.
0: Well, I think, you know, I think while the broadcasters were all going to the, you know, hey, it's time to, you know, uh, Patriots better call a timeout, leave themselves some time and all that, Belichick's not having any of that, and uh, again, you have the two best coaches in in, uh, in football, probably, right there. And uh, it was an unbelievable, you know, chess match. And Belichick didn't blink, didn't panic, and uh, thought, you know, maybe something bad bad will go, you know, something will happen. Something bad will happen. Or we'll get something good will happen. You just never know. Make them make a play. You know, they might. I mean, it, the reason I personally wouldn't have thrown the ball, if I would have thrown it, it would have been a play action off of Marshawn, a roll-out play action where if the defender falls down, you got an easy touchdown, where uh, if a, you know, the defender that's looking at uh, uh, you know, uh, Russell Wilson, if he slips. Russell Wilson easily gets into the end zone. The reason I would not have ever called a pass is the potential to get a holding call. You get a holding call, now you're on the 11. You can't, I don't think, throw the ball there just because of that. Possibility, you just cannot do it. Now, if you wanted to run the ball immediately, then you know line up quickly, like they did at the, You know the Bush push, where they made it look like they were going to do one thing and do something else. What you would have liked to have seen them do is run uh, Marshawn, and if he doesn't make it, run up quickly and uh, run a play action off Marshawn. Which would stop the clock if the ball is incomplete? Because your quarterback, you roll him out, and he can throw it out of the end zone if if there's nothing there. And then you got a fourth shot with Marshawn. Uh, that's what I would have done, and I wouldn't have taken any chance of getting any kind of a holding penalty because uh, then you're really screwed at, at that point. So, uh, but you know, we'll we'll be second guessing this one uh, till the end of time, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, you know, like the Texas one. That's all my Twitter feed was <laughs> after that. Was Texas, USC, and and all that. So we'll see. But you know, they got a young team. If you're a big Seattle Seahawks fan, young team, young quarterback. Uh, Pete Carroll's got all the energy in the world. If you watched them, they were showing him throwing the football, Dan, before the game. And I just, I can't. Made me think of all the pictures I took of Pete Carroll in that quarterback pose, throwing the football around before practice or before games. So they got some championships left in them, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's got a challenge uh, because this year they had a challenge early and they, they met the challenge and got the team together. And, uh, you know, they kind of lost them for a little bit this year. And I think he's going to have to, you know, regroup and, and, and get them back together. And that's uh, one of the things Pete does the best. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the hard thing I think is going to be how well their defense played, as banged up as it was and how much that group, you know, has got to look at it and, and say, man, we deserve to win this thing, and they don't come away with the win. And that, that'll, that'll, be, that'll take some doing, I think. Uh, there's no question about it. And uh, it takes some doing for Pete. I mean, Pete's aware of what that Texas game would have meant for him historically, and he's going to be aware, obviously, of, of, you know, what this game means to his legacy and uh you know it, it's i would think it's going to be a little it'll, it'll take a little doing over the next few months to to get past this for uh for pete in seattle
2: i think you're right uh, all right well that's super bowl we want to talk about the team a little bit we want to talk about the basketball the football team the basketball team a little bit about signing day so we've got a lot that we want to get to so let's jump into some of these other questions um we haven't got to see him yet during these off-season workouts, but we had a question about Chris Hawkins. Tark wants to know, Dan, uh, from what you've seen, do you think Chris Hawkins has a future at safety?
0: That's a good question, and I, I think we're going to know when we know. And uh, I think right now you're just slipping a coin. I mean, a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, how do the coaches see it? How does Chris see it? Uh, how does he develop physically? You know, they're doing a lot of, uh, you know, really serious uh uh nutritional and weightlifting stuff and uh so i think that'll play a little bit into it and you know what kind of commitment there is to you know having a you know if you want to have a you know safety body and all of that so i think that would be be just kind of guesswork right now i think we were kind of guessing toward the end of the year a little bit including chris and the coaches and i think it's still still there. I mean, we haven't, you know, they haven't had sighting day yet. Don't, we don't know how that's all going to, there are a whole lot of moving parts, I think there. So, so I think, you know, I know it's not a good answer, but we'll see.
2: Yeah. If you look at the depth chart, our scholarship distribution chart, certainly a need at safety. Uh, I got some guys coming in, but that'll be interesting to, to see going forward. Well, once they get out there, once the defensive players come out to the off season workouts, we'll be able to tell you a little bit more, see where he's playing. Um This one from Roger says, I'm amazed at the great insights you, Coach, and Dan come up with weekly. Some of your ideas should be implemented immediately in a perfect world. Like Sark should give up play calling to his offensive coordinator. We should blitz more and stop playing prevent defense in the fourth quarter. Uh, My question is, do you guys ever get any indication that the coaching staff ever listens to your show? These are fundamental flaws that are obvious, but they don't seem to improve as the season goes on. Do they listen to constructive criticism From everyone, keep up for anyone, keep up the good work. Fight on, Roger in Newport Beach.
0: Roger, you know we don't want to, you know, say oh yeah they listen to us and but there are times when they give you answers to questions that sound like uh, stuff you've been saying or thinking. Is that just by you know coincidence or they give you answers say after games because they know those questions are coming, uh, and, or they know what's, what the, you know, what kind of the, the I guess, how would we say this? They, they know what's going to be the question. They know kind of what the buzz is, and they know, you know, we ought to head this off a little bit. So whether that, you know, comes from, you know, stuff we said, they know from questions we ask them. I mean, they can tell the questions you ask them when they go there, uh, they pay attention. I think Sark Sark is pretty nimble as far as um, anticipating that kind of thing, or uh, you know, he, he's he's listen he listens. So I don't think there's any question. Sark listens. Uh, you never had any sense of whether Lane was listening or not. He just really you really didn't know. Pete at times would you knew he knew. And he was going to go his way, and he would prove, no, I'm no, I'm going to do it my way. Uh, but yeah, I think they, you know, I think they do listen. I think, um, you know, the USC fan base isn't afraid to make its, uh, you know, point of view known, and uh, and that gets back. I don't think there's any question. So, so I think they do uh, listening and implementing it are two different things. And I know you mentioned about Sark and play calling. I don't know if you saw the um, the statistic. I guess it was football scoops went back. And over the last four years in, in, at both Washington and USC, Sark is the number one red zone play caller in college football. So maybe Sark should call the plays in the red zone. I guess the problem has been a little bit in the fourth quarter, as you say. They haven't gotten to the red zone. Uh, so. Uh, so, you know, it's not always, you know, black and white and all of
2: that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I think they listen. I think they do, too. And we've had them on the show, so they at least know it exists. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to listen to every, you know, they read the newspapers. They they read the Internet. Uh, I think they know the criticism that's out there. I don't think anything we're seeing is kind of unique. Um, maybe some of the stuff is, but certainly – they're aware of that, but coaches have their own you know they have their own philosophies and I think some of it's changed. I think you know we wrote that story about the, the blitzing I think that I don't know I'm not saying that changed the way they, they did things, but I, I think that it it was more people were aware that they didn't blitz a lot and I think the coaching staff knew that and they had to do you know try to step it up and blitz a little bit more so I think there's some tweaks they would make, but I think you wouldn't be a good coaching staff if you listened to everything everyone else, you know outside the program said and just did all of that.
0: No, you don't want them doing that, but but I do think I don't know that they were aware before you did the blitzing percentage story. I don't think they were aware of how how they stacked up blitz wise compared to everybody else, uh, and how little that they were. I I don't think that had that had you know totally settled into their you know sense of where are we. Or are we getting any I mean, they were getting more experienced? It was time to be doing more blessing anyway, but uh, uh, I think that one I think that one broke through. I don't think there's any questions.
2: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a fun one to do. Uh, let's see We're going to talk a little signing day real quick, Dan. Um, I know you you follow this stuff too, and uh, we' we're, we're going to try to do a recruiting podcast maybe tomorrow on Tuesday, Port Augustine announces. Uh, and then Gerard and I might try to do a podcast sometime after that. I have to check with him to make sure. So check back. We'll try to do one recruiting podcast before signing day, so stay tuned to uscfootball.com for that. But we want to talk a little bit about it. And Dennis in Lancaster says, I love the show, and I just want to say congratulations to Junior Seau for making the Hall of Fame. Uh, Dan, great story on BKU. Uh, he's talking about Dan's story on Kanichi Udeze. You should check that out. Two-part story on uscfootball.com. He said, I'm excited to see how he will improve our team. And his question was, what are the odds, and Gerard hates odds questions, so you can answer this however you want, Dan, uh, that is going to land Iman Marshall, Rasheem Green, John Houston, and Porter Gustin. Fight on.
0: Yeah, I, uh, a good question. I, I mean, I, I thought the odds last year were, were decent that they were going to get the big three at the end. You had, you had a fourth. And and. and... I guess the thing I'll never know is what is the di- per- particular dynamic going on in Utah with the two linebackers, uh, I, and I don't know how that works. I, I just I, I don't. You know, it doesn't sound like anybody totally understands where that plays into things. Uh, uh, I really like Dustin. Moore. I when I, I when you realize your Kid is uh, the best rebounder. In the state of Utah, which is a good basketball state, not a great, you know, big population, but, you know, 6'4 and 245, can play above the rim, shoots 80% free throws. Hell, he'd be the best free throw shooter USC has right now. <laughs> you know, just bring him in, suit him up, and let him shoot technicals. Uh, so I I love his, he, you know, there are people who wonder about is, is, You know, the way he moves and that, does that, you know, limit him to some? I just think he's such an athlete. Uh, I was shocked at at, at watching the videos of him, having read about him, and then watching the videos. Uh, There are so many things he could do in college football. Goodness gracious. And, you know, if you play four sports in high school, uh, he's just a kid. Whatever, you know, position should be the last thing you even worry about with a kid like that. You just want him. Here and get him on the field somewhere because uh, he's going to make plays. Yeah, so, so I don't know. Can they get all four of those? Man, that would be uh, that'd be impressive odds. I don't know. You go with a four four. As somebody grew up in Kentucky, you go for a four horse parlay <laughs> and the odds go way up. You know, a trifecta is tough enough. You get that fourth one. What do they call? I don't even know what they call those things. But you try to bet four horses. But uh, but you get some some significantly high odds. So so I don't know. I I mean I think they got a chance. I mean that's all you can. I think at this point, that's all you can say is if you've got a chance, it's good for you. You know, I think they got a chance.
2: And I think I think it'll be interesting, Dan, because you pick up. Osa Messina last week, who was part of this big five, like the five you want to finish with, and I really like him as a player, Justin yeah. will announce Tuesday, so we'll find out what's going on there if they if they're able to land him, you pick up a lot of momentum going into the, with the two Sarah kids or, or you know Gerard just put up a, a prediction piece, uh, you know his forecast and and he has those two guys as the highest percentage guys that could end up at USC John Houston and Rasheem Green, and then it'll all come down to. Iman uh, Marshall for, to kind of round out the big five. So it kind of could pick up in stages You get a little momentum with Osa Messina and, and we'll kind of see how it goes.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly the scenario. Yeah, I think that momentum matters uh, as well. And, and they may have already developed it, but uh, it's, uh, you know, they got a chance. Yeah. Uh,
2: well, here's an interesting question, uh, Dan. And uh, this was actually sent there from Matt a few weeks ago, but it was going on during like, I think it was uh, Notre Dame week or something, so we wanted to put it off. So he, he sent it in again, and uh, this is always a fun topic. So since we're you know sort of off-season, you know what, what, is there ever an off-season? But we'll, we wanted to ask this one for you, so bear with me here. It's uh, from Matt. He says, Dan, does Larry Scott hate USC? And then he gives a few exhibits. Uh, exhibit A, he never publicly taken our backs in regards to the NCAA investigation. Exhibit B, under the letter of the law within the NCAA sanctions, we could have played in the first Pac-12 championship game but he passed us up for a six-win UCLA team. Exhibit C, USCS Thursday night home games three years in a row now, last year, this year, and next year, and that's just horrible for the fans. And Exhibit D, and this is the big one, every Pac-12 South team plus Cal, that's six of nine conference games, had extra days to prepare for us this year, either due to a bye week or a Thursday game the week before. Arizona was a Thursday game, Arizona State Thursday game, Cal bye week, Colorado bye week, UCLA bye week. Utah out of the Thursday game. How can this be an accident? My theory is Larry Scott is doing everything he can to create parity in the league because it's quote unquote good for business by screwing with us as much as he can. That or perhaps he thinks that USC doing well during the NCAA sanction somehow makes him or the conference look bad. Or do I have this completely wrong and something if someone else is to blame? You're not paranoid if they're really out to get you. Thanks, Matt from LA. Uh Probably, uh, let me say this for
0: about, uh, I actually asked Larry that question about the scheduling. Honest to gosh, they had no idea. And I can't blame them. USC had no idea. We were, the, you know, who was it? Our poster, gosh, in Oregon?
2: Someone posted he, on Parastyle. I forget who it was,
0: yeah. And I like, uh, his, Anyway, uh, he was the first one to discover it. USC didn't know it. Pac-12 didn't know it, so it wasn't done. And if you look at next year, it's, that's not the case. Uh, I think yeah, maybe one team maybe had more more time, but it virtually disappeared. So I think, uh, to some extent, one of the explanations I got was because – and and, USC, and why nobody will feel too terribly sorry is USC is probably the number one scheduling exemption in that uh, – USC is allowed to schedule Notre Dame that second Saturday in October, right in the middle of October, in South Bend every other year. And then they get that game flipped to the end of the season when they come to L.A. And I think USC's got the only exception that, like that in the Pac-12. That game has been grandfathered in as the greatest intersectional college football game ever. So it does some odd things to schedules. For example, I think next year, uh, Arizona has to play 12 straight weeks and gets no weeks off. And uh, one of the reasons is the accommodation of the USC Notre Dame series. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think Larry is smart enough. If you're, you're the commissioner of the Pac-12, you know there are 11 other teams besides USC in the Pac-12. And he works for all 12 of them. And when he came in, right when he was coming in, it was USC and the other guys. And Larry's smart enough to know it's good to have the other guys, the other 11 on his side. So I think it was human nature to kind of see if he could. And if you're trying to sell, for example, the Pac-12 TV deal, uh, the more good teams that you've got to sell, the more competition the better it is for, for you selling the league. So I think there were some natural reasons why it looked like Larry was uh, kind of looking the other way. And I, I think, you know, he's got a very close relationship evidently with the Stanford people. Um, many, a number of times that hasn't worked out so well for USC uh, when it comes to end of games and clock uh, management and calls and things like that. And, you know, I could see why, you know, people would be upset and obviously with the officiating over the years and nothing seems to be have you know been done about but i think some of it's just kind of a natural thing and more so than uh, and and with usc going on sanctions and knowing that there was going to be kind of a a law um if you're the pac-12 commissioner you want who can get into the playoffs, who can go to the big bowl games that kind of thing if you're going to you know, say, well, we'll ride Stanford or we'll ride Oregon for a while. Uh, that's what you do, and that's what they did. But uh, that could all change. Uh, USC just has to make a change. Larry will be the first one. If USC gets into the playoffs next year, Larry will be down on the 50-yard line, you know, waving a Cardinal and Gold banner.
2: All right. Uh, great stuff there. Sorry it took a few weeks to get that question in, but thanks, uh for sending it in And the last we have a couple two more for you dan and it's both about the usc basketball teams we'll end the podcast on a maybe not so positive note <laughs> but uh there's a voicemail one and then we have a regular question so i'll just play you the voicemail one first get your answer then we'll do we'll do the second one after that so you can expand a little bit more on the second one here you go
1: this is richard the usc basketball fan two more embarrassing losses uh The the Utah
0: game, unbelievable. looks like somebody had to prop Hayden up to keep him awake. Uh, My question for uh, Dan Weber is, number one, do you think SC will win another conference game this year? And number two, how long of a leash do the administration and the athletic director, namely Hayden, give Enfield? Uh, I know they've been doing better, but really, uh, it it just looks as bad as it ever did last year. Um, Appreciate your comments. And uh, let's go get that recruiting on Wednesday. Thanks
1: a lot. Bye. Um,
0: uh, You know, I I don't know if anything we say matters. Uh, It's what they say. And if you looked at, you know, this weekend, what they said was um, we're not probably getting enough better as much better as probably you know you would like to see, and, and and the team needs to be, the program needs to be. When you see what's happened, just like with an Ernie Kent going to Washington State, and I think they beat Stanford over the weekend, and and you see, you know what happened at Oregon State with Wayne Tinkle, who wasn't hired, then the Montana coach wasn't hired until late May. And lost all five of his leading scores, and they're just you know tearing things up at oregon state and uh, you just wonder I mean last year the story was, well, we've got these you know older guys, we've got these transfers, we've got some size, we've got a guy that's you know doing real well now at gonzaga, byron Wesley, we've got guys that started at Maryland and you know started at Virginia Commonwealth, but we're really not any good and and they're all kind of set in their ways and they're not going to do what, what you really need them to do. They just don't match what we want them to do. Then this year, you know, so they go 2-16 and 16 in the Pac-12. And this year you've got a, um, two sophomores who, who really had a pretty good first year, um, and you've got the number 12 recruiting class in the country. So a little bit of optimism. And you got two transfers who were pretty good players at UNLV and Charlotte. So you think, you eh, there's kind of a nucleus there. There's some size, but, you know, maybe not a lot of big, strong guys, but got a couple of 6'11 kids. And um, So you think, okay, and, you know, they're kind of up and down in the preseason, but then you get to the Pac-12 where they really scout you, they really take away what you're trying to do, and they won't let you do. And if you can't do anything else, and if you can't guard people um, – You've really got a problem. Uh, for example, in a Colorado game, Colorado's injured, and kind of they hadn't won a single road game. And uh, you know, USC has two players have career games, and Nicola and Kate and Reinhardt, you know, 30 and 35 points, and and still can't win the game. They can't stop one guy. And um, I'm sorry. You have to be able to do that. You have to figure out. I know Andy at the end, you know, afterwards said, i got to figure out a way to win these games. Um, yes, you do. And uh, it's two years now. I mean, we're really now looking at year three because basically year two is pretty much gone. So now you're looking at year three of the Andy Enfeld era and what is there, you know, to show for it other than, you know, some better numbers on recruiting rankings. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, if you can't play defense, if you can't take care of the ball, if you don't know where your shot's coming in the offense, I don't know how you win basketball games. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 is not the greatest league in the country this year. But they got some pretty good coaches. And when they have a chance to, you know, really look at you and decide we're not going to let you do this, we're not going to let you do that, and you got no other, you know, you got no plan B, uh, things are tough. And, uh, you know, they're on, whether they, you know, I guess, uh, as you say, will they win another game, you know, they better or else they, uh, they eclipsed the 2-16 and 16 of last year. And that would be, you know, a, a, just a gigantic step in the wrong direction. But when you look at the schedule, you know, there's not any game there that is obvious that they're going to win. Uh I mean, maybe that gives them a goal, you know, in these final nine games to figure out a way to, you know, win a couple more. But uh, but right now, and the way they came out Sunday was was, was disappointing, to say the least, uh, in the situation they're in. And obviously Utah, coming off a loss at UCLA, you know, made, you know, they came out really ready to play. And USC, after the tough loss to triple overtime to Colorado, you know, came out looking like, they didn't care whether they played or not, and uh, that's really uh, that's a tough way to go. And I don't I don't have a good sense of, of where this is going, and I don't know I don't have a good sense of how long it's going to be allowed to go. I mean, USC tried to do a lot of things in terms of you know boosting up crowds and enthusiasm and a home court you know sense when you're there and all of that, but um, it's the product on the floor that really matters. And um, right now, th- that product doesn't seem to matter much.
2: All right, we got one last one for you, Dan, on the basketball team. It's uh, Earl West LA said Dan Weber's comments last weekend or last week seem spot on. After watching this talented Trojan basketball team lose in triple overtime to Colorado, losing three close games they should have won is not good. Last year, Enfield won two conference games, and halfway through the season, when his team was supposed to be better, he has only won He has only one win. Uh, looking at the job Wayne Tinkle has done at Oregon State in less than a year, certainly makes you wonder why can Uh, why he can have five conference wins halfway through the season while Enfield only has three conference wins in one and a half seasons is the second half of the season. If the second half of the season plays out the same way as the first half, do you think Enfield will get another year Earl and West LA?
0: You would think he would based on recent history. If you looked at, you know, the Kevin O'Neill era that went into four years, although maybe not didn't finish the fourth year, uh, but, um, man, it's a tough call. And the problem is, if you say you make that decision, now you've got to go out and hire a new coach. And if the track record hasn't proved that you can figure out how to do that, are you better off or not? And, you know, it would, would not send a good message about, you know, where the USC athletic program is if you have to do that so my guess is they won't do that and you know you just flat out say come on we can get this together you've had a couple of re- good recruiting classes so, uh maybe something's going to click but uh but it would be more of a a hope filled uh you know exercise in you know faith or something like that than you know something that you've got hard evidence for cuz they didn't get better last year and they're not getting better this year and that's the one advantage i would think and having a young team is the chance to get better and to see that improvement and when you don't see that um that's one of those uh, moments where they should be getting better young as they are and uh and they're not
2: all right dan well great stuff appreciate you talking about the super bowl the signing day the team basketball we got to t- touch it all on this podcast so thanks again and we will uh we'll talk to you real soon Thank you very much. Enjoyed it, Ryan. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks to Coach Harvey Hyde. Thanks everyone else for tuning into the Parasol Podcast. We will talk to you all next week. Enjoy your signing day. It's going to be a fun one. Fun one, guys. Final stretch down to February fourth.